Mike, so who have you been talking to this week that I hear? Um, Go on, this is a, that's a rapid intro. You just say, hello, welcome listeners. Sorry. No, straight, you just dive straight on in there. Yeah, that is, quite, that is quite rude of me. Good afternoon, <laughs> listeners. Sorry, I'll be more BBC. Good afternoon, <laughs> and in today's episode, uh, who are we talking to then? I hear it's who somebody we talking to? We're having a warble. We're having a warble with the the lovely John Ferrand. Um, John John um, runs the Guild of Fine Food, which is wow. um, an association, a members' association, and also uh, work in the the whole independent food supplier and retailer sector of producers. Uh, and retailers within the independent sector for food um, and uh, they well, I, I don't want to say too much because John does introduce himself when when I had a chat with him so we're going to be talking all things independent how the pandemic's changed what's been going on and um, also what you see how they've been supporting their members and the sector through this difficult time and, and, and where they see things going as well into the future. Does he talk about lots of lovely food? Because that that'd be quite interesting. Insider. No, yeah. Well, they do. They do. They, they do some awards uh, where they taste all this lovely food. And I did put myself forward to be a judge. He did laugh, uh, which was slightly off-putting. Anyway, there we go. They're based in Gillingham in Dorset, um, mm -hmm. so uh, down here in West Country, um, and but they're uh, um, a UK-wide from a well, actually, no, they're international. Um, and again, I'll let John provide you with a little bit of information to why that is the case. Let's hear what they've got to say. Great. Mm -hmm. So hello and welcome again to uh, Customer Experience R&R. Um, today I have the pleasure of speaking with John Frand of, of the Guild of Fine Food. John, thanks ever so much for joining us today and I'm sure our listeners and viewers really interested to hear about what's going on in the independent food world. So I won't take up too much more of the time on the introduction front. If you wouldn't mind just introducing yourself, introducing the Guild and uh, letting everybody know what it is you do and how you go about doing it. Mm -hmm. um, good to be here, Richard. Thank you. Um, Guild of Fine Food. Um, we've been, as an organisation, been established for, uh, well, just over 40 years. Um, we are really are at the sort of hub and the centre of the fine food sector with sort of various activities. Um, we publish trade mags, uh, Fine Food Digest, um, the industry's sort of leading voice and publication. Uh, we also offer training programs when we're allowed to um, on cheese and charcuterie in particular. We run some trade exhibitions and some consumer shows um, and possibly our most visible uh, activity is um, Great Taste, the Great Taste Awards, which is the um, been described as the Epicurean equivalent of the Booker Prize or the Fine Food Oscars. So it, it, it puts a seal of approval or mm -hmm. judges put a seal of approval on food and drink that you find in, in delis and farm shops. Um, and we also run the, the World Cheese Awards, which, as the name suggests, is an, an enormous room uh, of three and a half thousand cheeses being judged by experts from all around the world, which that tends to take place in Sort of overseas in European uh, cities, but really what holds it all together, Richard, is is the Guild of Fine Food as a as a, a membership organisation, um, and um, we have between thirteen hundred and fourteen hundred members. Um, those are people who make great food and drink, mm -hmm. uh, and those who sell it. So our retail okay. members are our yeah. food halls and, and delis. 
and farm shops uh, and, yeah. and village shops. Um, and then the producers are those making the wonderful beer, jam, bacon, whatever. Um, yeah, and and that 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 membership uh, creates the the Guild of Fine Food as a as a trade association. Fantastic. So, sounds sounds like a great place to be. Um, by the way, if you need any more judges for the great taste, I'm always available. Um, just um, so, so in terms of your customers themselves, um, you know, your members, it's been a really difficult time for everybody. Obviously, you know, if you're producing something and there's an ability to actually get it places or to get it sold in or for people to then go out and buy it, you know, there's and if you're retailing, etc., etc., there's, there's lots going on there. So, from your point of view, how is how 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 have you been able to support your members throughout the last you know last year effectively now yeah i mean the, the first thing we did funnily enough was talk to the sector as a whole so yes we have a membership of, of 1300 or so companies but very quickly back in in march april last year we, we sort of threw our support doors open to the industry as a whole we we, we felt that hold on a minute let's not just give advice to to a corner of the industry let's give it to everyone mm -hmm. um so we talk to regularly about um 14 000 food and drink businesses whether they be retail or, or producers um and we, we just felt that the sector needed to pull together as a whole mm -hmm. we've also got our cousins in food service that were went through a terrible time back in spring last year and we went about setting up support pages, uh, sending out support bulletins, um, communicating through the pages of Fine Food Digest, mm -hmm. um, as well as through um, the pages on our website, just to not only give businesses the sort of need to know. So the, the government uh, issued um, good, better practice and, and what you legally had to do as a business and what you had to do to survive those sort of functional things. But we also gave businesses some good news stories. And that was something I was quite proud of at the time is that the team rallied around trying to pick out good news. Um, and, and still now I, I accuse the national media of, of peddling too much bad news. I know it's out there. Of course, it's out there, but balance it with a bit of who's doing good things and who's yeah. doing the right thing, not always who's doing the bad things. Um, so, and, and we still now uh, uh, have got those pages, uh, support pages on our website. We still continue to send out support bulletins. That's now morphed into addressing other things like Brexit, which is so relevant at the moment. Mm. And there's still a, a, a need to, to support um, retailers um, and the food producers now so yeah. and, and we'll yeah. continue to do that absolutely so in terms of those good news stories um you know we heard a lot about the, the changing customer journey particularly for you know sort of retail in terms of that food side of things so you know from from your point of view the smaller independents of a generally have got that position of well we can't do as much as the big guys do because of a resource and all of the processes behind it what were they able to do? Were there certain sort of examples of that that, 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 that uh, were, they were able to do? Certainly there were. And I would argue that the smaller businesses are actually more nimble than some of those big buys. Yes, I, I agree with you. They didn't have the technology in place. They didn't have the know-how, perhaps the sophisticated know-how needed to start doing click and collect or mm -hmm. online or whatever, which I know is not that tricky, but it, 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 a lot of independent retailers would never have 
have have got involved without the the, the sort of start of lockdown. But mm-hmm. um, a lot of them opened uh, up these services um, and ended up appealing to to many many new customers, yeah. as well as solving that sort of technology thing. Um, what I found last year was that um, businesses found each other more. Suddenly, mm. retailers were discovering producers very close to them that they perhaps didn't even know uh, were there. And, mm. and in, the, in the sort of, in an, a stroke of necessity, were, were, were having to find other people to do business with, to provide their customers with what, what was needed because other supply chains weren't working, things weren't coming in from overseas, there were production issues at sort of bigger uh, producers. So people had to start finding local, weirdly more consistent suppliers yeah. Um, yeah. during the, um, the first lockdown. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, and no, I, I think that whole driven by necessity of, of the customers themselves to actually not be going so far afield and actually going and realizing that they've got a great producer down the road themselves who, who mm-hmm. consumer could go directly to, or if they're going to the delicatessen or the farm shop, it has, has opened people's eyes, I think. And that's sort of the, the information we've been gathering through some of the surveys we've been doing. People are more comfortable to go and find something that's a little bit different that isn't the uh, the bigger chains that are out there in the moment. Um, you mentioned uh, before we, we started recording here, you, you had some data in terms of the confidence levels or how things went over the sort of Christmas period for for your your members and, and the the industry as a whole what 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 were the the findings what was the trend coming through in terms of that yeah. i mean christmas was 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 critical wasn't it for 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 food and drink um and um, as you've just said richard lots more new customers were discovered last year shopping in independent retail the, the trick now is to hang on to them but mm-hmm. yeah i mean the, the 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 poll we did which which is it, it, it's not hugely scientific but we we like to get sort of sound bites from people and views and uh, very very interesting what was sort of coming back was that some some retailers seem to have a, a a really good christmas that that lockdown that happened i can't remember what date it was 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 pretty annoying yeah yeah uh, so food and drink could stay out food and drink retail could stay open of course because it's deemed essential but even then just the closing down of the high street other retailers around them has a knock-on effect and people think oh well food shops must be fine because they're allowed to open but actually if you rip out the footfall on a high street mm-hmm. because the other shops have closed it does have an effect of course um but some had really good Christmases. Some reported, you know, sort of it saved my year, those sort of comments. Um, and yet we had others that said it was grim and dire and, and what a terrible end to a terrible year kind of comments. They didn't seem to be much in the middle where people sort of said it was OK. Um, could be a reflection of who bothers to fill in surveys, <laughs> but um, and, and people like to eulogize or have a good old moan. But yeah. it, it was interesting that there was this sort of wild differential, as far as we could see, of people having a very good time or, or a very bad time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's an interesting state of play at the moment in terms of people's perception of what's what's going on and how it's happening. And it's, it's really interesting to hear you, you, you talk more about the communication piece and people starting to interact with people they hadn't done before. And I think that's something that actually the situation we find ourselves in has forced more people to do and customers whether they be um, retail who are buying from suppliers or the actual consumer themselves 
um, are finding different avenues to interact with businesses now, even more so. And it's something that myself and Ryan on our podcast talk about regularly. And our listeners will know it's always about communication, communication, communication. And I think it sounds like that that has, has there's been opportunities there and it's enabling you know people to be able to just take a step back and have a little bit of a think about it. So if that's an ongoing piece, what, what about this year? Um, I know it's the old crystal ball is really difficult to look at because everything's changing so rapidly. But from your point of view, how are you going to keep supporting your your members and the industry itself going forward? Is, that, is there anything different or are you just there for them and keep going? No, I mean, we, we I think everyone has to look at what they, they offer um, and, and trade associations and, and trade uh, association resources are, are no different um, and we're upping our ante um, this year in terms of, of our support to members I mean our big news at the moment is that um, we, we uh, developed a, and written a charter which I know sounds a little inward looking but actually it's not it's very outward looking because our charter says what the Guild of Fine Food needs to do for the sector, but also what our members need to do for the sector. Um, so we're trying to sort of encourage better practice. Um, we're trying to establish lines of support, trying to increase knowledge uh, in our market with better data uh, and better information for them. Mm -hmm. uh, we want to connect them in more ways through, through various activities and also uh, now we, I, I found myself representing the membership on various uh, DEFRA groups, the Food and Drink Sector mm -hmm. Council, mm -hmm. uh, the Agri-Food uh, SME group. So we've we've got that sort of voice. Right. We've always had the voice, but I think I feel a bit more now like we're having our say mm -hmm. at uh, at a sort of a policy forming level, which sometimes feels like you're you're absolutely bashing your head against a brick wall. wall but I'd rather have that that voice for for the smaller businesses food and drink businesses than let um the supermarkets and nestle and unilever kind of debate the issues of the day because that's not representative of our world so that's something i feel we're really upping uh this year we're also launching um our delhi code of practice um which i don't know if you're familiar with code of practices but they are um, um, setting a standard, I guess, for delicatessen, uh, selling delicatessen products. Mm -hmm. um, and they are, in, a, in, in essence, a protection uh, if you follow the code of practice, which is uh, underpinned by Cornwall Council as a primary authority, but that primary authority has a, has a ruling over the rest of the UK. Um, it means that you are protected against your EHO. So if you're following the guidance, your EHO cannot sort of breeze into your shop and, and start mm -hmm. picking you up on certain things because you've got that protection. So that, that has been two or three years in development. So it's a, a, a mm -hmm. weighty body of work and a, 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 a weighty thing to, to, to get through. But if you follow it, um, it really gives a, delicate, a deli or farm shop really good protection. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think that's a fantastic place to be in for these organisations as well, because you mentioned that sort of community piece uh, when there's that consistency. And what 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 our, our customers, what customers are looking for these days is about that experience. It's about something that's different. It doesn't have to be the same in every uh, independent outlet, does it? But, but if you're providing levels of service, levels of um, uh, process that mean that the consumers, that customers can feel confidence 
it means they're more likely to be able to walk into these places and have a great experience and have knowledgeable, um, friendly staff who want them to stay. You mentioned that hang on to these people who might not have been to these places previously. Absolutely need to be hanging on to these. And I think that that those those um, those processes and that code that you're setting up is is a great step in the right direction. So sorry. Go on, John. No, you're absolutely right. You've got you, you've got to sell food safely and properly. Yeah. And, and, and you're right, Richard, you've then got to add the bit of why people love it, these independent retailers because of the theatre, the know-how, what do I do with that product? How do, you know, what do I do with that jam? How do, what do I match that cheese with? That, that's the sort of entertainment element or the discovery element of going into a deli or a farm shop. Yeah. Um, and we give that, that know-how too through mm. our, our training programs, our retail training programs. Um, but it's important also to, to satisfy um, the health and safety aspect and, and, and shelf life issues and how do I cut my cheese and can I wrap my cheese and how long can I store it for? All those things are also uh, incredibly yeah. important. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and those are the normal things, as it were, and, and, and add in our, our nice COVID situation as well. I was speaking to somebody the other day about the necessity to keep that communication going in terms of the, the, the processes, the flows, the, the safety measures in place for every workplace, because we have that assumption, I think, that a lot, a lot of people are making now that we're in lockdown three, so everybody should know how to behave. Well, quite clearly, there's still some people who, who don't quite get it, but it, as, as businesses, it's, it's an opportunity to reinforce the, the, the processes that are in place and give, again, more confidence. The more confidence, the more comfortable, the more at ease people are to spend time and have conversations and get to know what, what these great independent uh, um, organizations can offer. So that's, that's fantastic. So we, we're getting towards the end of our time. We, we have multitudes of listeners and, and viewers uh, for the podcast. If there are food uh, suppliers and retailers out there and they want to hear more, what's the best way of getting in contact with you, John, or the Guild of Fine Food? Very simply, um, gff.co.uk. Um, all the information about join, uh, there's a join us page. Uh, mm -hmm. All the information about membership is there. Uh, our new, newly devised uh, charter is also there so have a read of that there's a long list of, of the benefits and resources that we can offer uh, food and drink businesses any everything from a, a, a sort of deli helpline um, through hr help um and discounts on, on many of our activities that we do so there, there's plenty there so uh, yeah best places to to visit the website and you know what i also like people to pick up the phone and have a chat so give us a ring um we're always happy to do that uh too that's great. Well, thank you very much for your time today, John. Really great to hear what's going on from your side of things. And uh, good luck for 2021. I hope all the support and everything you put in place for, for your members and the sector itself work really well. And we, we push forward and uh, make it a great year. So, John, thank you very much for your time. That's a pleasure. And just remember that um, independent retail is, is for life, not just for lockdown. That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying this year. <laughs> Love that. Thank you very much, John. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Right, well, there we go. There was John. John Ferran from the Guild of Fine Food. Um, some interesting really interesting power. points. Yeah, great, great to hear him talk so passionately about the uh, independent food sector. What did you think? Well, there was a couple of things that came to mind. One, I didn't, I mean, I, I, look, we all like eating nice food, don't we, I'm sure. But uh, I never realised the breadth and depth of that sector, um, which is, you know, I feel a little bit... Uh, 
as if I'm, I'm falling short there. But but secondly, um, my God, you know what what an opportunity for independent producers in the UK to you know sell their wares at the moment, particularly those. And I'll use the P word because I know you love it. You know, pivoting their business online, um, which he, he talked about. The the stuff that really stuck out for me, the first thing he said that I really liked was um, John's comment around let's start talking about all the positive stories we've got in the UK to talk about at the moment. So he talked to me about, you know, a lot of the national media constantly looking for the negative. And I have to agree, you know, sometimes I have to turn the news off because it's just quite depressing. And I know there's not a huge amount of cheer at the moment, but you know, where there is, let's hold on to it. Um, so uh, I thought that was really good. And the other thing I liked about what he said was that when all of this uh, COVID stuff happened, started to happen, um, a lot of, sort of small local businesses found local suppliers that were really local to them that they never knew about because they had to because they had to diversify their supply so that's got to be a really positive story in all of this all of this awfulness isn't it that you know we are starting to focus on perhaps uh local local suppliers food miles are less great impact on the environment people yeah. eat local food mm -hmm. um so yeah uh I thought that was that was really interesting. Yeah, I, I think the um, the idea that 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 experience could be had in a low in a, in the local play, in the local or the locality, should I say? And and it was interesting, you know, his comment about you know um, independence of not just for lockdown, it's for you know for a lifetime. Yeah, we've got to make sure that we continue to have those interactions, and it can be more of an experience. It's not just a transaction now. The fact that we're in again lockdown. When we do go out, we interact with people. We're looking for something even more now. Whereas previously it was, well, we're out, we're interacting with everybody all the time. We're not anymore. So therefore any little interaction, even if it's a phone call with a little independent shop, what are they doing to make that really stick in our minds and be memorable? And I think, you know, the, the independent food sector's got a massive opportunity. As John said, they're knowledgeable. They've got, you know, lots of training in terms of the products and they know where they come from and all those sort of things. I like to know those those sort of things now. Previously, I think it would have just I'll walk in, pick something up and walk out. That's my sort of shopping um, <laughs> uh, journey I go on. But now, actually, I'd like a little bit more time just to hear what's going on, creating more of an experience. You, you bang on the money there, Rich. And I don't often say that, but mm, you are bang on the money because if I take myself off, you know, when we can go, uh, you know locally to the local farm shop or you know I travel a little bit I've got a favorite farm shop um, about 30 miles away which is which is an amazing place uh, strawberry field and they uh, they won farm shop of the year last year and um, the food they produce and the quality of the food they produce it's more expensive and I'm, I'm, I, I understand that before I go there but but I want to know where it's come from I want to know that the joint of meat that I'm buying is from you know a local herd and that it's been grass-fed and or it's organically produced i want to understand the quiche i'm buying what the flavors are and what's gone into it because i'm paying more money for it for therefore it's it's an experience for me when i take that home that's not a normal evening meal is it i'm you know i'm creating expectation i'm looking forward to 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 that particular meal so i guess a lot of what the guild are doing is they're accrediting those products and those those experiences to be a, a, a level of you know uh, of of a really really top quality product and therefore a top top quality experience and i think if you think about now i heard this story yesterday actually i was on a zoom call where there are lots of businesses lots of restaurants now that are diversifying by sending out food boxes rick stein is 
uh, Empire down in Padstow are doing this. So if you want a, a night in, but you want a Rick Stein experience, they'll send you all the ingredients and how to cook it. And again, not cheap, mm. but it's an experience. Yeah. You're excited. It's coming mm. from Rick Stein's restaurant or Marco Pierwell or, or others are available, of course. Sure. So the point here is, is it's you're not just paying for ingredients. You're not just paying for a product. You are paying for the experience that you get. Yeah. And I think, again, from what uh, from what John was saying, there's a huge opportunity still within within the fine food sort of fine dining experience sector. We know that's been massively hit to to think differently about how you get your products and services to market. Yeah. And of course, you mentioned it in the in the uh, in the chat with John. As long as you communicate, communicate, communicate what you're doing and let your customers know that you've got that product and service and how to use it and make it simple and make that client journey simple. Amazing. Yeah. And it, it also ties in with that you've communicated with them, but also you've communicated via that insight gathering piece as well. Cause John mentioned about, and you mentioned it earlier on, uh, new people have found independence, different food, even the independent uh, retailers themselves have found these, um, these producers on their doorstep. Wow. You know, they're making a cider or there's charcuterie being produced down the road. Absolutely incredible. Um, but also in order to hang on to those new people that have come in, you know, what, what do they do? What do these businesses do to hang on? Because we know it is seven or eight times more expensive to find a new customer than it is to keep the loyal ones happy. So that for me was the sort of thing that came out there. So yeah, you've got to hang on to them, but how do, how do, they, how do they go about doing that? That's the next question. Well, it's all about that customer pendulum, isn't it? It's all about staying ahead of the pendulum and making sure you know what your customers want. And it certainly sounds as if the work that the Guild are doing um, is, you know, equally as important because they, they, we help the Guild, don't we, Rich? We help them. We measure that yeah. for them um, yeah, that's it. by yeah. understanding what it feels like to go and make an inquiry in one of their, one of their shops. So, mm. you know, they are a, a great example of a, of a premium business that want to give a premium experience testing that experience with their members to make sure that they are delivering on what we just talked about um so if, if others of you have ambitions to uh to uh, emulate the guild please get in contact because we can help yeah, absolutely can help. yeah and you know that insight that you spoke about in order to hang on to your customers it's also about you know are you asking uh, are you, or are you going down the route of oh yeah well, we, we, we we think we know what our customers want we really need to really understand what customers want not not necessarily need because there is a difference yeah you know you need to go food shopping you don't need to buy a new pair of shoes you want to buy a new pair of shoes necessarily you might need to if your shoes have all fallen apart and you have no shoes and you're 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 going to walk down a very cobbly road however <laughs> generally if you've got a, a uh, cupboard full of shoes you don't need to get another pair you want to so needs and wants are really interesting to understand a bit more about I but feel just before you, you carry on there. Hang on a minute. Uh, can I just come in on that point? I feel you may have used the argument with uh, Mrs. <laughs> on a number of occasions. Uh, is she in the background listening? I, I can't possibly. I can't possibly uh, comment on that. But in terms of that need, want what is it they want? My, I've re I wrote this down. I wrote this down earlier. Don't be a Debenhams. Don't wait and wait and wait and not you know and, and be thinking actually yeah we've got an older age range and base who are your customers find out who they are what are your segments who how many of the different age ranges are there 
ask them some questions. Have you got a database? Use something like Instant Insight provided by Insight6 to ask questions, to find out how they feel about what's going on in your organization. Even if you're a small independent organization, you've got to understand and then you can change, you can pivot according to what's going on. Somebody was saying on the news this morning, Debenhams has had this problem because everything has been brought forward in terms of timeframes by the pandemic, but it was always going to happen. Yeah, it was always going to happen. And that is important. I love that. I've got another one for you. Don't act like Arcadia. There you go. Yep. Hey, we should uh, put little, uh, you know, uh, copyrights on these things. Right, nice. Don't yeah. be like De Debenhams. Don't act like Arcadia. Yeah. Cool. And if you're going to take two things from today's podcast, let those be the two things you take away. Oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Work. Well, listen, uh, so that's... So is there another... anything else? Anything else? I Well, no, I, I think that's a good old yarn we've had. You yarn. Know, horribly. Warbly, warbly. So next week, I've got very exciting news. We, I am interviewing uh, a chap called Tom Murphy. Now, Tom is another international guest. Second he, one. Second one. Second one. Tom. Um, Tom. Uh, that's that's. He is. He's. He's. He's in the UK at the minute. So he's got two homes. He lives in, in Exeter, uh, but he also has a home in Melbourne, Australia, um, wow. and uh, has businesses in both. Yep. so mm -hmm. um, it'd be great to hear his perspective on how he sees things um in the uk but but tom um has a website called the life according to murph go and check it out and tom's going to be talking to us about um how business owners how we stay resilient how we look after ourselves and you know how you keep yourself in really good nick from a from a mental health perspective he's a real expert on on taking time to think about uh, think about yourself and i know we've had various different well-being um speakers on before but tom is quite unique in terms of mm -hmm. how he he uses his questioning techniques to, to keep your business you and your business um at, at the top of your game so i'm looking forward to chatting to tom um so yeah uh that's what's coming in episode 35 like me 35 okay good excellent well it's been a lovely pleasure week. to warble with you again, Mr. Have Huxtable. I've been Richard Knight. I've been Ryan Huxtable. Have a great week.